It is really fascinating reading the behind-the-scenes material on this and how much they were just run, flying by the seat of their pants as they tried to get all these storylines concurrent and working with each other. As I've mentioned before, they kept, they were handing different ones off to different people, and certain events would have to happen in certain ways to line up for certain future stuff, so it all just kind of was all over the place. <clears throat> Nevertheless, they do two things in this episode to help establish the brain, one of which works very well and one of which does not. I'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> so the brain attack. They do a lot of damage to Starfleet Headquarters and Earth in general. Okay, cool, cool. This is really well done, in my opinion, because they make a point several times of pointing out that that brain attack force barely survived them. Which is exactly correct. This is exactly why you don't do tactics like this. You're basically sending a fleet off to die in order to cause some damage that may or may not actually be significant. Uh, if they had decided to attack, say, Utopia Planitia, that might have been more significant, or any of the other major shipyards. But no, they decided to attack Earth because symbolic. Now, I get why they do that, but this is the first of, like, five or so decisions that the Dominion will make that are all wrong, because, well, it's basically the Battle of Britain, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want to get too much into the Battle of Britain, and I didn't live through it for obvious reasons, but... uh from everything I understand, the Battle of Britain had basically the exact opposite effect of what it was intended. Rather than breaking people's spirit, it united them in a way that nothing else had. Historically speaking, this is actually pretty common. When someone slams down really hard, usually they just resist more. Like that That's a really common element in real life history, and that's exactly what's happening here with the Dominion. But anyway, so they do the attack. Woo! Uh, there's this bit where Martok says that a race of warriors. I, I'm going to disagree with that. Warriors, even by the Klingon standard, do not do these kind of attacks. This is an attack that's in deliberately intended to inspire fear by deliberately attacking a military target of the enemy in order to accomplish this at great expense to oneself, I might add. As I said, this was effectively a suicide mission. Damar points this out to Thok, or whatever his name is, I actually can't remember... And uh, he just kind of says, eh, you know, whatever. It's all good. We're Breen. We're Breen. We're bad guys, right? I think. I don't know. They're, they're Breen. Meanwhile, I, actually, I do wonder something. I wonder if the Vorta have the capability to have actual military tactics. Let me explain that a little bit. The Vorta's military arm is the Jem'Hadar. The Jem'Hadar obey without question, even to the death, and can be remanufactured at will. When you have those advantages, you don't really need tactics in the strictest sense of the word. Especially not at the personal level. You don't even need leadership. You just need to give orders and they'll follow them. Everyone else needs to learn what it's like to be a leader. To gain people's loyalty. To have them be willing to fight for a cause. To be willing to fight harder for a cause. And, of course, they need to keep into account the fact that they're trying to win a war for the people that are fighting that war. And not just for the people who are left over. After said of after said war is over, it's interesting to think about. Meanwhile, Cisco's peppers have been burned. Oh no! Actually, I do like that little personal touch. It's a nice thing. It's something DS Nine has always been good about is those little personal moments. And uh, he said he asks her to take some time off from the front. We'll get back to that. <clears throat> Instead, we sh shuffle over to Rousseau or whatever his name is, uh, the Cardassian who's working with you know, uh, Damar as part of the Resistance. Uh, 
Can I just say that I saw him and I'm like, that's Narone. It's like the first reaction. The voice gave it away, but then the facial features as, oh my god, it's Narone. Holy crap. It's such a shame that he's such a relatively minor role here. He'll be present in the next, I think, three episodes, counting this one. Relatively minor role. But he comes in, and of course, we find ourselves running into the amazingly, deliberately, wonderfully ironic situation of the Cardassian people. And I'm going to stress that. I've always tried to distinguish the Cardassian Union from the Cardassians. The Cardassians are now a force occupied. They are a people who have to resist clandestinely against an overwhelmingly superior foe who has military presence in their... They're the, they're the friggin' Bajorans. It's, it's actually wonderfully ironic the way that lined up. We'll talk more about that, uh, I believe, next episode. <clears throat> but for now, we get to the Kai. The Kai seems like she's faltering in her faith. Uh, the great irony is that she isn't. She's just upset because she's not sure, like, exactly the path forward, and she's just kind of trying to figure out exactly what is needed of her. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Bashir and O'Brien and Worf are debating the Alamo. I wanted to take a quick moment. Some of you know that I have a concept I call the tiers of insertion. It refers to which tier of inserting yourself into a fictional setting you do. And I know what you're thinking, well, that sounds like a weird thing. But I bet if you think about it for about five seconds, you'll understand that that's an incredibly common type of speculative question amongst, you know, just geeks in general. You know, which video game would you like to live in? Which era of Star Trek would you like to live in? I mean, come on, right? And because these questions are so common years ago, even before I started the show, I came up with a system to describe the different tiers. Okay, how much control do I have of how and why I'm inserted into the system? And because there's so many different types of fiction, you have to also take into account acclimation. Because I'm a real-life human being. If I was dumped into Warcraft, Warcraft humans are literally void-cursed, titan-forged constructs. That's not what I am. <laughs> so I would be a different species than the humans in Warcraft. So that's the acclimation part. Anyways, I bring all this up because Tier 5 is the one that's not often discussed. It's basically when you are put into a situation, but you effectively have total control of the situation going forward. Now, I bring this up because that's exactly what Bashir is talking about here. He's talking about the Battle of the Alamo. Well, why don't we shore up the wall? Why don't we add a moat? Why don't we put more troops here? And O'Brien's like, well, you're not supposed to do that. It's the Alamo. You're supposed to lose. But I'm kind of with Bashir here because, well, it's fun to defend and fight, and of course it is. It would be nice to also play around with it, which is the Tier 5 scenario. Just, just wanted to comment on that because... Shortly after that, Cork comes over and says, aren't you guys freaking out about this? And O'Brien says, yeah, I just spent 14 hours working. And Bashir's like, yeah, I just spent like 10 hours working. We're chilling. What I like about that is twofold. First of all, it shows that you know they are trying to unwind. That's why they're at Quark's, after all. It also shows that they are better at coping with this thing than Quark, which, which makes perfect sense. I mean, why would Quark be good at coping with stressful situations compared to them, especially since they've literally fought in this war multiple times? The other reason I like it, though, is everyone just kind of copes in different ways, right? I mean, how many times have you had a particularly stressful day and you just plopped down and decided to watch some Star Trek? Or play a video game or whatever. Yeah, anywho. <clears throat> Meanwhile, we cut to Worf and Esri. Worf is actually surprisingly supportive of Esri. Now that they've gotten over that hurdle, 
a completely unnecessary hurdle in their the relationship. We now have him actually being her friend and confidant as she's trying to figure out why she likes Bashir. This is just my own personal theory crafting on the matter, but I think at least part of why Ezri loves Bashir is because she's known him for seven years. Or more accurately, she has seven years of memory of him. So she actually knows Bashir pretty well. And that's enough to actually kind of start establishing something other than just, you're hot. I don't remember if the show's actually commented on it, and I'll bring that up if they do, but it's it's something that helps add a little bit more investment there rather than just, well, he's cute. <sighs> I mean, Alexander Siddig is very cute, but I mean, that, that's not enough, you know? As Worf actually flat out says, you know, you deserve more than someone who is just kind of hot, or however he phrases it. Anyways. By the way, I think Worf would love... Like, being on the the battle plan for the Alamo and actually fighting that, I think he would eat that up. I'm not even joking. I think he would adore that. This is kind of similar to the Old West thing, but back in uh, uh, Fistful of Datas, but in a, a slightly different thing. Here, okay, Worf, there's an oncoming onslaught of thousands of troops, and you're here. What are you doing? Worf's like, yes! <laughs> Just goes and starts having fun with it. Tell me you couldn't picture that. So... The great irony of someone like Wei Yun is the Vorta are the mouthpiece of the Dominion. But in a similar manner to I mentioned earlier, speculating that they're not actually good tacticians, they're not good with people. They don't actually have a high charisma score. In fact, I would argue in a D&D sheet, someone like Wei Yun would probably have negative charisma. And I mean that sincerely. Because... Well, first of all, because he's, he does that used salesman thing, and that's pretty much the opposite of trying to convince someone of something. But more to the point, Weyun completely misreads Damar here. Someone who is truly charismatic, someone who is truly perceptive, which would actually be wisdom as well, would be able to recognize the changes in Damar, because Damar isn't hiding it, ignoring the obvious lighting thing, which is continuing, by the way. The fact is that he's alert, He's gotten his confidence back. He's talking back to Weyun. He's basically back to being his old self in a position of strength and, and self-assurance. I've been sleeping quite well. I'm not drinking. I'm here early, and I'm willing to talk back to you. Weyun takes all that and says, Oh, of course. You realize you're on the winning side now, and you, you thought we were going to lose. That makes perfect sense, because Weyun doesn't actually know people. Why would he? Why would he need to? He doesn't need to convince you when he's got two Chemhadar over his shoulders. See, that's the thing. That's the great irony of the Dominion. For all their, their strength and their power, they're not actually really good at anything in, 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 from an intangible perspective. They just brute force everything because they can. It's just interesting to think about, and in many ways continues the parallel of the Dominion being the inverse of the Federation. But I'm getting off topic. <clears throat> so, he misreads Damar, of course. Solbor shows up and has a brief scene. Uh, the guy who plays Solbor, forgive me, I didn't write it down. He actually does a good job with the role. It's a shame because he dies in this episode. Originally, he was just a, a throwaway character, but they liked the actor and they expanded his role. So there's several scenes that are basically just him playing off of Dukat and, or excuse me, Anjo and Kai Wynn. And it's just, it's some good stuff. I just wanted to comment on that because... He is exactly what he should be, a devoted person who is willing to talk back to the person they're devoted to. In many ways, he is actually an interesting parallel to Weyun, who is not willing to talk back to the one he's devoted to. And I bring that up, and I know this is a weird way to segue this, but 
several times in the Dominion War, the founders make decisions that are uh, bad or incorrect. Later on in this very episode, the founder flat out says, you're going to leave those escape pods and let them collect them rather than destroy them. Now, that is probably the wrong call. It's definitely the wrong call because she would have killed all the main cast of DS9, which would have completely changed the course of the series. But it is, even even not knowing the future, that's still probably the wrong call. But she does it because she's thinking from a perspective of sowing terror, of cruelty, which is the Dominion's modus operandi in general. Think about all the things they have done to the various races and peoples we've encountered over the last several years that we have tried to help with. The people who who die horribly and can't and and they're, they they don't even have children half the time. How about the people who are wiped out down to the very last man who made a holodeck of the people that survived? Now there's several examples of the cruelty they show people because that's just kind of their thinking. After all, it's not like these people matter, right? As I said before, the founders are evil. But I bring all of this up because the female changeling, the founder, she makes quite a few decisions that are basically wrong, and Wayun never questions them. He just immediately capitulates, yes, of course, such great wisdom you have. If he had been like Solbor, the Dominion might have actually won this one. Huh. And, of course, the reason Wayun is unwilling to question her is because she made him that way. Which means it's her fault. And that amuses me. So, um, looking at my notes here, there's some obvious parallels between Kaiwen and Damar, actually. There's this great power that's incredibly evil, but they're willing to give you all this power if only you work with them. And it's interesting to see that, because given the circumstances, I mean, I, I imagine most people won't argue this, but Kaiwen definitely seems more evil and self-interested, Forgive me for being redundant than Damar does. Go figure. There's this bit. I don't want to. I don't want to shove my hand or excuse me, shove my foot into my mouth here. But there's this bit uh, which kind of goes back and forth. That's actually in three separate scenes in the episode about Cisco trying to prevent Cassidy from going out on active service because he's afraid for her safety and trying to protect her. Now, okay. I'm going to go and give my opinion on this, and then you can all just tell me I'm stupid and horrible in the comments. But I do think that's acceptable under the right circumstances. Let me use an example. <clears throat> hey, the Borg are full-on invading. Cassidy, you need to get out of here right now. That's an acceptable circumstance. Even then, she would be well within her rights to resist that, by the way. But I do think that he would be within his rights to try and insist upon her ba you know, bailing on such a situation if it was something that severe. As I've said many times, when you get to a certain level of severity or extremism, the rules stop applying the same way. However, the problem here is even if... So as I said, that just gives him the right to, to bring up the idea, not the right to just do that to her. Just like she wouldn't have the right to do that to him but she would have the right to bring it up to him. You with me so far? Yeah, it's, it's, that's how it's supposed to work, you know, mutual. So, having said all of that, him doing it over, going overhead of that, completely unacceptable. In general. Even if the Borg were invading, that's still unacceptable. Unless there's like a time crunch problem. That's the only way I can excuse that. Like, I need to get you out of here in the next three minutes, go! Okay. This is not that. But there's a second thing, because this is not an extreme circumstance. Oh, I know, the Breen are attacking. But the Dominion War's been going on for a while, and frankly, it's lurked worse than it does right now multiple times. Oh, yeah, sure, Earth was attacked. Whoop-de-doo, to be completely blunt. 
As I already said, that was a terror attack. Well, that's not quite the way to put it, but not a terrorist attack, because that's separate, but it was a terror attack. It was an attempt to demoralize the enemy. Um, that's not actually, like, like as was proven in the episode, that's not actually a strategically viable attack plan, and, and not unless you're going to bring the entire fleet there, in which case uh, they'll just destroy all of your bases, because that's how that works. Right? So... He's, this is not a sufficient situation for him to suddenly decide to try and pull her from the lines. The only reason he does it is because he's married to her now. So that's two counts of unacceptable. Shame on you, Cisco. I will give him credit that he admits that he's wrong. So then Cisco is sent to the front lines. I really like this scene where they're all doing their prep work and chatting. I've actually had moments like that in real life in work environments, and it's great, and I love it, and I just wanted to say, really good job on that scene. I also have to mention something, though. The breed seem unstoppable. No, they don't. As I've said before, I don't like the breed all that much, and I especially don't like how the breed are approached or applied here. And one of the biggest reasons is the breed are oversold a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm, again, I'm very curious what you guys think. The attack on Earth made sense, and help to establish the type of threat the brain are. The brain are stupid, but willing to damage themselves to damage you. Now, that's a threatening thing. So that works. Then they go to the Battle of Chinook, or whatever, excuse me, the second Battle of Chinook. And um, they fight. And apparently the brain's big super weapon, because of course they have to have a super weapon, is a frickin' ion cannon. It took Star Trek like 20 years, but they finally invented ion cannons, guys. So, the Breen are now established because the Breen destroy the Defiant. There's a narrative power in introducing and establishing something, and then having that something being beaten by something else. Um, when done badly, that's actually Worf effect. But it is something that you can do and has been done to good effect over the years when it comes to narrative flow. I can think of quite a few games, movies, books, and shows that have all done that concept. That's what they're trying for here. It just doesn't work for me, and I want to explain why. Reason number one, they only do it because they have a super weapon, which bypasses everything, and, and it, again, it's an ion cannon. That's what it is. Reason number two, this is the, this is the sixth to last episode uh, of the entire series, this is not when you do this. This needed to be done about a year ago. Or, like, eh, let's say 10, 15 episodes ago. Like, th this is the wrong time to do this. So it's just like, out of nowhere, imagine if you're watching, like, let's condense this. Imagine you're watching an hour of television, and in the last, mm, let's say, oh gosh, I could do the math in my head if I had a brain. Uh, let's say the last 15 minutes of the hour of television, all of a sudden, this new bad guy shows up and says, Ha ha! I'm amazingly strong! I can just defeat you. And then he does. What's your reaction to that going to be? So even though intellectually it should work, it doesn't work for me at all. And the whole time I'm just like, okay. So the Defiant is destroyed. <sighs> okay. The Breen are super awesome. There's nothing we can do. We're all going to die horribly. And the end of this episode, so I mentioned these four episodes were all being written at the same time. It's to establish... And this is good. They wanted to establish where they were going to be for the actual final five episodes. They wanted to establish Damar, which I'll talk about in just a second. They wanted to establish Wynne and her position with the Wraiths. 
the Cisco Cassidy thing and the Esri Wharf thing. And all of those things are either terminated or moved into their new uh, construct, their format. We're actually going to be introducing yet another plot thread for the final five next episode, which we'll get to in a second. Or a week, more accurately. But before I move forward, I want to talk about a couple things. First of all, Cisco leaves a second burning bridge behind. That's kind of smart. He even takes a very long look around, which he really shouldn't have done because he probably should have died. And then the founder refuses to destroy this escape pods, which she really shouldn't have done, but, you know, whatever. I already talked about that. Solbor is killed. Poor guy. There's a great irony in that, isn't it? The devoted person who is willing to talk back is killed by the person they were devoted towards. Ironically, I don't think the founder would ever knowingly or deliberately kill William unless she had a reason to do so. Although if she did, I think she would do so without hesitation, so I guess I should take that statement back. But it's just interesting because, again, we see the parallels. He is willing to fight back basically for her and, and to be like, no, until she reveals that she actually believes in the Paris. Then he's like, no, you're terrible. So she murders him. And it is murder. And she's a little freaked out, but you can tell after watching, she's freaked out about getting caught. Not murdering her loyal, faithful assistant. Because Kaiwin is evil. Like, like, classic, no really, messed up in the head, evil. <laughs> well, this is then when Damar gives his wonderful speech. It's actually a pretty good speech, all things considered. Not, not like top ten, but it's a good speech. And... Once again, that wonderful irony, which I just, I just eat it up. I can, I can taste the irony of the fact that he is now pushing for the Bajor, excuse me, the Cardassian resistance under Dominion occupation. Fight today, fight tomorrow, fight until the Dominion are gone. <laughs> and of course, he went after the cloning facility, just as a little uh, to weigh in. Love it. We'll see how that develops next week. Chukum.